Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Called, specifically to the chaplain segment of this wonderful convention. I know um, most of you may not know who I am, so my name is um, Gilda Roddy. I am um, one of the team members at the North American Division. I'm the associate director. Uh, in a little bit, we're going to introduce you to our team. Um, it is so good to see you after several months of planning, multiple emails. Um, we are here, and this is going to be a blessed time. You will truly be blessed. Um, so just a couple of housekeeping. If you are looking for a restroom, out the door, make a left and another left. Um, this begins at 11 and ends at 12.30. Today we're going to be talking about mental health, suicide, gun control, and bereavement. Um, we're all professionals. We deal with all of those issues. Today, specifically, we're going to talk about how we as chaplains, I know mental health professionals, pastors who are here, how do we communicate with those that are entrusted to us when, look, we know that when something happens, when there's a crisis in the community, they reach out to clergy, they reach out to the chaplain. Um, so we're going to talk about what that looks like and what that, um, what that translates into for us as chaplains. Um, but before we introduce you to the panel, today and tomorrow we have three segments. We have an 11 o'clock segment, a 2.30 segment, and a 4.30 segment. So at 11 o'clock, just like today, we're going to have um, another panel. At 2.30 uh, this afternoon, you are going to hear from our new ACM director, Chaplain Washington Johnson, who will share his vision, his um, leadership, and um, moving forward for ACM. So really looking forward to that. At 4.30, this will be a time for us to, to be together and to worship together. It's a time for communion. It's a time for prayer. The past several years have been very difficult for us as a nation, as chaplains, as ministers. And uh, we're, going to, we're going to have communion together. We're going to pray for one another. Uh, many of us have endured um, extreme loss. So we will have just a time for us to, to be in community. The point of this convention is yes to come and to be a part of, of this chaplaincy community for sure to receive your uh, credits for the annual report, which we will talk about also. Um, but mainly, we have not been in community for a long time. So let us take this time to be with one another and uh, truly get to, to know each other. There are a lot of new faces. Um, so um, as we get started, um, who is the person that has come the furthest today? Because we have some giveaways. Who is here? California. Florida. That's no, California is further. Washington State, all right. 
British Columbia. <laughs> oh, we have a winner. Let's give her one of our one of our journals. All right, welcome, welcome. Glad to have you here with us. Wonderful. Yeah, I think she's got you beat. What's that? United Kingdom. Yeah, yes, yes. We have a winner. So let us get started. Um, I'd like to invite our newly appointed um, director, Chaplain Washington, if you'd take a seat, and uh, Chaplain Cork from the Great Plains, Chaplain Lee from the West, and we have Chaplain Harewood from the United States Navy Army. Freudian slip, Freudian slip. <laughs> Thank you so much. So I'm going to give Chaplain Harewood the microphone so he can uh, introduce himself and we'll go down the line and then um, we'll get going with our, um, our time together. Chaplain Harewood. Thank you so much and good morning to everyone. Certainly, I am from the United States Army, A-R-M-Y. All right, Navy does have a Y in it as well. But uh, my name is Andrew Harewood and um, I, I, I'm dual hatted in the Pentagon. So I'm the Deputy Chief of Chaplains for all things Army Reserve, but I'm also the Director for SPURS, which stands for Strategy, Plans, Policy, Resources, Soldier and Family Readiness. And um, for all three compos, that's active duty, uh, active duty, um, you know, reserve and and and, um, and, uh, and national guard, and certainly it's a joy to be with you here this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hello, my name is Angela Lee. I uh, stay in Loma Linda, and uh, I'm the uh, assistant director for the West Coast. Um, what else do you need to know? That's it. Yeah, post certified chaplain. That's it. And I'm uh, Bill Cork. I'm the assistant director. Live in Houston, and I cover the Great Plains region, that Southwestern uh, Mid-America Union Conferences, background as an uh, Army chaplain and campus ministry. Uh, and I've been doing this for almost as long as Washington, eight years uh, in, in the office. Good morning. My name is Washington Johnson, and it's an honor and a high privilege to be with you. And just give I just want to give God the glory for this awesome, beautiful day. Give the Lord an amen. Give him a hand clap. Amen. Uh, I, I work at the NAD, and I've been in the United States Navy for 22 years, and I will be retiring in August. Thank you. So, excellent question. Well posed. So, I, I think, number one, um, one of the things that we have to, how do I say this, to be honest with, is that the problems that exist in the world also exist in the church. Can I get an amen? All right. Loving Jesus does not necessarily somehow put you aside from dealing with the issues. And we have a lot of our young people who are struggling with their sense of self. Um, we have a lot of our young, young not just young, but also individuals who are dealing with a lot of issues. If you right now were to go to the website, um, the national website, just think about this for a moment. And usually when I'm doing, when I'm doing presentations, I would normally have someone to set um, a, 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 like a bell 
to 40 seconds. And while we're talking, you hear a ding, a ding, a ding. And essentially what that means is that within the scope of a sermon, more than 40 people have killed themselves, have committed suicide. It is the second largest killer of individuals between 13 and 19 in this country. We have young people across, across our enterprise who are, who are wrestling with this issue. And so to your question, you know, it, it is one of those issues that we have to look at, that we have to take seriously, because it's not enough just to tell people to pray. There's some imbalances. There's some issues that are taking place. And so I think, I think that we've got to lean into this issue. Um, all, all the data shows that individuals who are wrestling with, with either, either not, not just a sense of low self-esteem, but individuals who are wrestling with depression, depression is a thin line just a step away from an ideation. And when you have, and, and the, the, the research shows that people who commit suicide, it's kind of oxymoronic, but people who commit suicide really don't want to kill themselves, but they're in pain and they're crying for help. But if you put a weapon to your, to your, to your temple and pull, the, and pull the trigger when you're in that moment of ambivalence, you're not coming back. And so I do think it is, it, it is an issue that I think the church needs to grapple with. I think chaplains, those of you, and to some degree we're kind of preaching to ourselves because you get it. You get it. But it's the pastors and the other individuals who somehow don't. So, so I, I think that the first thing we can do is to reframe the conversation all right, and engage it honestly um, and not be intellectually dishonest. If we're going to speak of a God who, are, who is gracious, then God does not relegate when he's going to be gracious. He extends grace, period. All right? And we, also, we, we actually have a good example. Samson killed himself by definition. All right? Go to Hebrews 11. Where do you see Samson's name? All right? Um, but even deeper than that, all right, as a person in uniform, I've, I see some of my chaplains here and, and, and some other folk, you know, we said we we're going to serve God. God gave Joshua commands to go and conquer. God knew that, in, that for some of those individuals going into battle, they were not going to come back out. So how do you reconcile that theologically? The point being is that we have not, we have not been, been honest with the engagement theologically of suicide. So to your point, brilliant point, to your point, we, we, we have this notion that because you, you killed yourself, all right, because you took your own life, that somehow the body of your life goes down the drain. I don't want to take the place of God because, because you don't know the pain that that person was in, right? You don't know the demonic issues that that person was dealing with to the point where they either slit their ricks, whatever, the, whatever the, 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 the form was. But my point is that if God, if we're going to say God is a gracious God, he's full of compassion, he's, he's full of mercy, then mercy then cannot stop at the door of suicide. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just challenging you to, to rethink that. So, so, so I think that we, there's some work that we've got to do around this particular topic as a church um, with respect to once that person has committed suicide, that somehow that person is going to the other place, all right? Because if God, God says, I will show compassion to whomsoever I choose. I will show mercy to whomsoever I choose. And the last time I checked, God can't learn. <laughs> 
God doesn't wake up in the morning and says, oops, I didn't think about that. All right. In fact, the prophet in Isaiah, he made it clear. He says, hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the creator, the ends of this earth, what? Fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. What, 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 is, what is happening here in the Hebrew, he's saying everything that needs to be known, he already knows it. So even those individuals who took their own lives, he knew. I'm just simply encouraging you to rethink, your, rethink how you frame your, your, your conversations and your discussions around the theos when people are going to take their lives. That's all I offer. Uh, you asked about the wider community, and that's kind of been where my ministry focus has been. A uh, little history. You know, my first 10 years as an Army Reserve and National Guard chaplain, I had one suicide from eight, 1986 to the mid-'90s. Did 12 years public campus ministry, working for another denomination, had no student suicides. 2009, I got back into the National Guard, found myself with an infantry brigade combat team, that's six battalions, and I was having as many as five, six suicides a week. And at that point, Dina Wagner said, hey, could you write something for the Adventist chaplain about it? And I called a number of you and said, hey, what are you seeing? Active duty, guard and reserve, and everybody was seeing the same thing. So there was something clearly that we knew that was different. Now, I've known three Adventist pastors who died by suicide. One was an army chaplain. One was a famous evangelist. And uh, so it, it affects us as well. Um, but I was also seeing as a guard chaplain, how often do we see our soldiers? One weekend a month. So obviously, we can't just say it's their guard issues that are causing this hopelessness. But where are they in the midst of the community? And then where are we as the church? Are we connected with other people in the community? Was our guard unit connected with any of the other mental health resources in the community? So that's where I started. And that led me on a journey where I'm now doing a master of public health degree um, to really look at what kind of networks do we have in our community so that in a church, we want to talk about mental health? Well, we better be doing it. And who can we bring from the county mental health agency or the local university to talk about it. What, uh, you know, case in point, one of the uh, things I'm excited about at the place called The Great Place, Fort Hood, Texas, we have such great Adventist resources. We got uh, Jorge Torres as the division chaplain for the 1st Cavalry Division. We've got Advent Health Central Texas with Sergio Silva as the director of pastoral care at an Adventist hospital, uh, you know, half a mile from the main PX. We've got multiple Adventist churches of both conferences and in English and Spanish. And I just kind of got this brainstorm, okay, let's get Sergio and Jorge together and start looking at what are ways that we can start bringing together uh, uh, faith community, Advent health resources like their creation health program, uh, looking at grief. There's been so much grief at uh, Fort Hood. Uh, from sexual assaults, from murders, from uh, suicides. What can we start doing to draw upon these different strengths that we have in the community? And we're just still in the infancy stage of that. But I'm so grateful for Sergio and for Jorge for that openness. And there is that openness in the community. I was asked to be part of the strategic planning for our Harris County Public Health. 
And they said, we know you Adventists do great things, but you never tell us about it, and you never let us promote what you're doing. So reaching out and finding who else is interested. Uh, let me jump in on that, because uh, one, of the one of the things that came out of me getting more involved in my community is people started calling upon me. So when uh, we had this shooting at Santa Fe High School, about 45 minutes from my house, I was called. I said, okay, you've got critical incident stress management training. Can you come? And I spent two days there. After the shooting at El Paso, I went out and did trainings in our churches there and with some of our military chaplains uh, uh, as, as well. And then uh, after the shooting in Uvalde, Texas, this is what I get for living in Texas. Uh, um, I was asked by Adventist chapel, uh, Community Services to go to Uvalde for four days to do critical incident stress management, but I ended up in the hospital instead. So I didn't do that one. But, uh, you know, one is a lot of pastors think, oh, a crisis comes. We saw all these people flooding down to Uvalde. You shouldn't go unless you're invited. You know, you saw after the bombing in Boston, all these people just run down. No, we have a, prog we have a program for community services for disaster response. So they, and they call, uh, if you are certified for, as a disaster chaplain and are connected with Adventist Community Services, they need somebody they'll call you, rather than people just running down and becoming street preachers. So get training, get that training for Adventist Community Services for emotional and spiritual care provider, one and two. Get endorsed by us as a disaster response chaplain, and you'll have what you need to be able to do the training in your own church, in your community, as well as to be called upon in time of crisis to be able to help. Well, first of all, I want to thank um, Chaplain Roddy for uh, doing a tremendous job in facilitating this panel today, because the topics that we're going to discuss, that we are discussing, are very important to all of us and to those of you serving on the panel, on the panel thank you as well. When we talk about gun violence, what's happening in our nation, yes, we know that our eschatology lets us know that Jesus is coming, that there are signs of the time, right? Times of the time. But at the same time, we must be involved in the community. We shouldn't come out of our holes, out of our churches, when disaster strikes. They should know us. They should say, oh, that's my friend, the Seventh-day Adventist. They should know that we are always on the cutting edge. So how do we do that? We have to make ourselves available. We have to go beyond politics. We have to go beyond racism, color. We have to reach out to all people and let them know that Jesus died for everyone, and I want to serve. Also, I encourage you uh, to write about these articles, about what's going on, articles, uh, books. Uh, recently, Julian Johnson uh, wrote a tremendous article dealing with grief. And when people are dealing with grief, it can lead to suicide that we talked about, depression. So write, share these things, and remember that we're a family, and we need to share with one another. And I'm just really honored to be here with you today.
So what I would say, I offer you, I call them the three Ps, right? And you kind of alluded to, um, uh, to one of those Ps. You have that personal voice, which lends itself to the whole Second Amendment argument, um, which becomes a hot topic, which I usually offer individuals that that is your right, but uh, AR-15 was not designed to shoot deer. And, and then, you know, we, we, but you have your personal voice. Uh, you have your priestly voice. That's where, certainly when you are part of that community, we were talking about this earlier, uh, our church loves to quote that wonderful quote from uh, page 141 of Ministry of Healing. You know, Jesus went where the people were. Uh, he mingled with them. He won their confidence. Then he bid them follow me. Again, the challenge that you can take to your colleagues, because I think you get it. I think we're kind of preaching to ourselves here, if we're very honest. Uh, you get it. Most of the folk in the pulpit, they're still, they're still trying to figure it out. If you're going to go where people are, it is a social gospel. If you're going to mingle with them, that means they're going to get to smell you. You're going to get to smell them. There's a wonderful book that was written entitled, uh, They Smell Like Sheep. They smell like sheep, all right? And the, and the point, the, the, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. All right. The point that the author's making is that shepherds don't make sheep. Sheep make sheep, all right? And so, and so we use the quote, but I don't think we're intellectually honest again, which goes to my earlier point with respect to authenticity. So if Jesus went where the people were, he mingled with them, that means, he, you know, they get to know him, he gets to know them. Thirdly, he won their confidence. To win someone's confidence, you have to establish T-R-U-S-T. All right, trust. We're not going to win trust if the only time we're going to engage people is with a track. Well, you don't want to get me started. So, 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 and then he bid them follow me. So to your point, so you have the personal voice, you have the priestly voice, then you have your prophetic voice. We've got to be engaged with our leaders at the civic level so that when they're having these conversations, you can show up at those conversations and say, listen, as a pastor, let me tell you what will happen if you do this. Now, you can vote this way. You can sign the document. But if you sign it, here's what's going to happen. You are now asserting your prophetic voice. So I think that I think those are some of the very critical ways that I think that, 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 that can be a response. As you said, you can show up. And if they know you, it's more powerful than a Seventh-day Adventist minister that shows up. Who are you? We, we never heard of you before. But if you're in those meetings, if you're willing to roll up your sleeves and go to work, they'll love you, and they will appreciate it. They may not always agree, but they will say, oh, I know Bill Court. I know Angela. So it, it makes a difference. Investment of time. Yeah, and 
And I got to tell you, I live in the fourth largest city in this United States, and there are very few Adventist pastors that are involved in the community. I don't see other Adventist pastors when I'm at things. I see two churches, Fondren and The Who, that are great examples of community outreach and investment. Our regional conferences are showing the way, and especially Southwest Region, Buddy Bird as conference president is just a great exemplar. But it's living in that community, it's being part of that community. You know, I was in the hospital last week and two days, not a single Adventist pastor from the community came to visit me, but a black lesbian Mennonite pastor did because she knows me from the community. Those relationships go both ways. You're there for them, they're there for you. But you gotta be out there. Hello everyone. I just wanted to take a moment to say a couple of things. I was talking with General Harewood and the image that came to my mind was, it is time for us to stop being the salt in the cupboard. Thank you very much for those one. I believe just one person understood what I'm saying. It is time for us to stop being the salt in the cupboard. We need to get out there and be the salt of the world. I'm also going to say thank you, Wash, for what you said. Um, you all know that I have a new responsibility. And I need you all. I need those articles. We need to communicate what the chaplains are doing out there. Because no more I want anyone to see the chaplains as second-class pastors. And I'm going to be that, I'm going to be the champion for that. Now, I, I do want to ask you something. Because one thing I have seen, and it breaks my heart, is that many times when we want to be out there in the community, we compromise our theological identity. And please remember yourself of who you are, remember your identity. It is not about breaking your theology so that you can be friends with them. You have to, if you want to be the salt out of the cupboard, you have to stay salt. One last thing, and I'm sitting down. General Harewood had talked about that famous quote that we love to quote. But you know what? I discovered another one. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9. You know what she says? If we would humble ourselves and we tenderhearted, pitiful, or compassionate, there would be hundreds of conversions where there's only one today. And I know there's a bunch of chaplains out there who know how to be tenderhearted and compassionate and can teach the church to be tenderhearted and compassionate. So, you know, I got to say this because that's my responsibility. But I think it is our chaplains who are going to take this church to the last 
preaching of the gospel. So please, my friends, please, please, number one, be true to your identity as a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. And if you ever have a question, ask one of these guys in the uniform. They have to be true to their identity in a world where everything but Adventist. Number two, remember the statement from Ellen White. Let's be tenderhearted, compassionate. I put it this way. When I was growing up as a pathfinder, remember the pledge, pathfinder's pledge? I would be a servant of God? I think that's the perfect description of chaplains. I'm processing how to frame this. So, governing is choosing. Um, and I sit in a building where on any given day, we have a plethora of all critical decisions. There are times when the boss may have a list of what is called competing priorities. The list may have 15 things on it, which means number one is very, very important, and number 15 is very, very important, but number 15 is not number one. I think to my brother's point, I think we've got to be careful. Um, while I concur with everything you're saying, I think the nexus of the question deals with the theological response. Um, and, and, and really, when... Um, when people are making choices, um, to counter your point, I can probably look at Australia, I can look at Japan, I can look at some of these other countries where you have family breakdowns and systems, but you don't have the same shooting. So there's a systemic issue that is germane to this country. Uh, and to Chapman Benoit's point, I think that, um, we just have to be honest when we're going to talk about issues. That's, I think I'll leave it there without, without pressing the issue. I think there are times when we don't want to be honest, and sometimes we may, we may, we may run, 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 run at what I call a heron. To your earlier point, um, you know, I think that um, where we are right now as an organization, as a Seventh-day Adventist organization, you see that Chaplain um, has left, I think we have to, as chaplains, whether we're in the military, whether in the hospital, wherever we are, I think that we, we, we can teach our brothers, we can teach our sisters with humility, you know, how to engage some of these issues. But again, you can only teach someone if they want to listen. The last thing I would say is, there's a wonderful quote from Peter Drucker, um, um, a leadership guru, who says, nothing is, nothing is less productive than to make more efficient what should not be done at all. All right? All right? Nothing is less productive than to make more efficient what should not be done at all. I think there are times when, as an organization, we come together and we discuss points that we just need to be honest. Says, you know what? That's just nonsense. We're not going to spend time on that. Because we're trying to make it more efficient and we should not be doing it. But that's where, that's, that's where moral courage, that's where that second P, that priestly piece uh, and then to the third P with the prophetic piece comes in. There are some fights that are not ours. And we have to own that. There are some fights that says, you know, I can, I can walk with you. I can cry with you. But it's not my fight. All right. And so we've got to choose which fights are ours. You know, 
I'll put a pen in there. Great question. And I have the mic, so I'm going to speak first. <laughs> um, I know that when I was a um, hospital chaplain, I worked five days. And the Sabbath is supposed to be my rest time. Yet, because of certain policies, especially for female, I need to be very engaged with my local church. So I've decided to do that, and I worked in a way that I can also carve out time to be engaged with my local church. And to me, it's very important, although I was tired, but I did not regret it. It is the relationship, the collaboration with me and my own church that I actually have some muscles that I gained that I never have, but also to have the, the influence and also the trust of the congregation and so we can work together. Second of all, I have to say that I don't really like the phrase, which we all embrace, that honestly, okay, just if, 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 fire me if, if you need to. You know, pastors are all pastors, all chaplains are pastors, but pastors not chaplains. I do find it a little divisive, and I would like to say that all of us are ministers, and we have different callings, but we're here to be partners with each other. That's what I would like to continue with my um, vision for my area. At the end of the day, we know the enemy. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, war in heaven. It's one fight, one army, whether you're a chaplain or a pastor. We must find that common ground and let go of that turf war because Satan is behind it. We have to work together, as you said, Angela. It's not, if, are you a chaplain? Are you a pastor? I'm a minister of the gospel. And let's, let's remember that, okay? One family, one fight. I can say just a word more about the, the, the training that we do through Advanced Community Services. Part of it is our courses from FEMA that you do online on the Incident Command System and the National Incident Emergency Management System where you learn, you know, how are things supposed to work? How do volunteers come together with law enforcement? Who's in charge of a crisis? It's that first commander on the ground. Police chief in uh, Uvalde forgot about that. Didn't know he was in charge. Uh, we have the SISM classes, and then you take a certification exam, so you get a national certification from the University of Maryland, and then there are some specific ACS uh, classes. But you can go to the Advanced Community Services webpage. And when you do those critical incident stress management classes in your community, guess who's alongside of you? It's other pastors, it's mental health providers, it's police, it's fire. So I've gotten to know who are the mental health folks on my police department and the Harris County uh, Sheriff's Department because we've been trained together. And now I'm planning a moral injury conference for Houston together with these agencies. Uh, so that's got what's gotten me that entryway. And the other pastors of both Southwest Region and Texas Conference see me as a resource. So I get called to preach and say, hey, come give a training. Hey, we've got family uh, violence that's an issue, said uh, Denton Roan at Houston International, come talk to us about uh, family trauma. Um, and so Chaplin says, you get to know the pastors in 
the area as you get to know the ministerial director and the conference folks. Um, you know, Kansas, Nebraska, and Central States, I met both those conference presidents in one day, and they both said, we want every one of our pastors to get a unit of CPE. How do we do that? Byron, I think, I think to your question, there are times when you run with the ball. In fact, I got this quote from General Perna. He's one of our four-star AMC commanders. He says, there are times when, when, when you're on a team, you run with the ball. Then there are other times you block for the person running with the ball. All right? And so I think that that's, that's a lesson that we've got to learn, that there are times when, you know, right now I don't have the ball. In fact, quite frankly, I don't need to have the ball. You have the ball, so I need to block to make sure that you get into the end zone. That's where, that's where that level of maturity comes in. Um, because sometimes as, as ministers, um, you know, we've got to have the big S on our chest. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, one team, one fight, as uh, uh, Chapman Johnson mentioned. One team, one fight. There are only two forces in this world. All right? Only two. All right? And you're, 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 e you're, you're either on one side or the next side. All right? Uh, by the way, I used to say, I, I, I'm, one, I'm one of those that used to make that, I used to, I, I used to use that saying. I no longer use that saying. But here's the point that, that I think when people say that they're trying to c communicate, that the, the specialized training that chaplains have, certainly my, my chaplains who are military chaplains and even hospital chaplains by way of CPE, that, that level of training that they have, locals pastors do not. So I think what I would offer them is to find a way to reframe saying that so you, so you don't, you're not kind of operating at cross purposes, you know, but I think, I, I think that that level of maturity, you know, we've got to be able to identify when we walk into a room, um, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, John Milley, you know, he makes it very clear to us on his strategic thinking team, he says, rank, when we're discussing issues, rank goes to the person with the smartest idea. Right. And in that room, they're not only general officers. We also have sometimes E7s. But he's very clear. I've got 30 minutes to respond back to Congress. Or I may have 15 minutes before the president calls me back. Here's the issue. He's saying, for the next 15 minutes, I'm not interested in what, what's on your shoulders. I'm interested in what's coming out your mouth. All right? And so I think that, that those are some of the lessons um, in, the, in, in, in the new competencies that we've got to try to find, you know, as team members, whether you're, whether you're in the regional conference or, you know, so that, that, that's, that's what I offer. So two things real quick because our time is almost gone. Don't, 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 don't sit down, don't sit down. So the next time someone says that to you, right, you know, you say to them, okay, so number one, when you graduate and you go work, after 10 years, I'm going to make what you're making in six months. That's number one. That's number one. That's number one. All right. Number two. No, no we're, we're, we're told we're being authentic, right? We're being authentic, right? All right. Because, see, there are some topics I just don't even spend time engaging because it's foolishness. All right. If we have gone to the same school, we have the same degree. And then I've gone and, I've not, and I, have, I now have three, four other degrees that you don't have. I'm making more money than you are making. 
my family's living better than your family's making. I have less headaches than you're making. I'm sub, you know, I'm, you know, thank, you know, I want to be subpar to you. And just move on. Jilda, I just want to add one quick question, last comment. And we need everyone um, to educate also your local conferences. When we are involved, when we show them who we are, they will know who we are. So, and I know we have a lot of theologians in, in, in the room. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he talks about cheap grace, right? I know you've, you've, you've studied Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So, clearly, I would not propose to just get into the area of cheap grace. First of all, I want to thank you for your authenticity, all right? Because the reality is we have a lot of crazy people in our churches. And I don't mean that pejorative. I mean literally. There are people in our, in our churches who are mentally unstable, and we know this, but yet we vote them into office every year, all right? And then we give them, a th no, and, and then we give them authority, all right? There are some people, I pastored all of my career in the military to include a very large church in, 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 in New York City, all right? There are some people in our churches who should be on medication, to your point. So I want to thank you for, for making that point, all right? But again, we don't want to be honest. We want to pray everything away. Mary McLeod Bethune says, there is no one so blind as he who would not see. All right? And so there are issues that we have in our community that we don't want to come to terms with. Then lastly, you know, there's a reason why we have that story in the New Testament where when Peter was, when Peter was literally falling in the water and he had enough time just to say what? All right? To both my brother's point and to my other's brother's point, you know, we, we just have to be careful that we don't venture into that space where we become the Holy Spirit. Because the same way how we may think the person who committed suicide is going to hell and we don't know, the pastor who is pastoring could also be going to hell and we don't know. All right? And so I really think that that space of humility, that place of just being humble, and that space of just saying, I'm a servant of the living God, you know, and I will be there for you when you want me to. But we've got to stay away from this whole judgment piece. So even if the person's life is one that's crazy, and we may say, well, you know, if they have enough time to say, Lord, save me, he can't. He might, because again, I go back to my, 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 my operating earlier statement. God says, I, first person singular, will show mercy to whom I choose. And I will show compassion to whom I choose. We don't know the struggles of people. We don't know their stories. All right? We assume we know their stories. And so I'm very comfortable as a senior leader, always erring on the side of grace. Always. When you err on the side of grace and mercy, I think you can get it right pretty much almost every time.